Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday night, which means it's time for Friends in Fiction. Tonight's highlighted novels will take us to war-torn Europe before and after World War II. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Christy Whitson-Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Meg Walker. And I'm Ron Block. Now we're going to we're going to go a little nuts tonight from our usual format because we have a very important message. You might notice we're all drinking heavily. <laughs> we're we are exhausted. Champagne. <laughs> we are absolutely giddy with excitement right now because we just got the news that Patty's the Secret Book of Flora Lee just hit the New York Times bestseller list at number eight. So exciting! Here's to Patty. Here's to Patty. Here's to all of us who have stressed about it and panicked. I'm just kidding. Cheers, Patty. You are amazing. I think Patty might be able to sneak away from her event and join us for a second, but... Oh, she's here, she says. She's backstage. Oh, Oh, she's here. Hi, you guys. I'm so excited. I'm in a library. Could it be any more apropos? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, first of all, I have to say there is no way this would have been near as much fun without you. And nobody could stress as much as y'all have. And I feel like I am celebrating not with you, but like with you. Like you are mine, you guys. This has been such an incredible journey. I am so excited. When they told me, um, they called right when I was walking to this event. I'm at a history center. And I ran outside and Meg Walker called me and I couldn't even understand her. <laughs> I was, I was like, try again, try again. Can you, can you say where you were crying though, Meg? Cause I uh, think that's the uh, best part. Yeah. The parking lot of the liquor store. I'm in the parking. So I ran out to the parking lot of this history center and I kind of fell to my, like in a crouch and I was crying and I looked y'all and there was a feather in front of me. Oh, I just got chills all over. And I picked it up and I put it in my purse and it will keep it forever. And you guys are the best in the whole world. We love you. We're so proud. Yeah, we're thrilled for you. So thrilled for you. And I'm dying to stay and talk to Martha Hall and I'm dying to stay and talk to Jennifer, but they're waiting for me out there and there are 200 people and please tell them how much I love their books and love them. And I love you guys. And we love you. We love you. We love you. Sean, thanks for your text. You're the best. 
Oh, we have Alan tonight, but Alan Sean tonight. did text you. Oh, hi, Alan. Sean's <laughs> in Hamilton. But um, I, I just want to say quickly a huge thanks to the Friends of Fiction community because having been yes. on the road with Patty for the past 10 days, for, you know, the first 10 days of tour, so many people from the Friends of Fiction community showed up. Yes. And the book is just soaring at the independence, which was has been our mission from the jump. And this would not have happened without this group. Without the no, script on the screen, not. but without the group and the wider world out there. So we love you guys and we are so grateful. And, and, and Meg is so right. Meg's been traveling with me for eight days. I, I, I know she's so sad to be home and not be in the, <laughs> on the road with me. I do miss you. I'll see you I tomorrow. I miss you too. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> but Meg, you are right. Friends in Fiction, y'all showed up at every event. You wear your t-shirts. You buy them in multiples. You make us feel like... We are the queens and kings. You are the wind beneath our metaphorical and probably literal wind. <laughs> and you post on the page and um, yeah, now it's time for the Paris daughter. That was literally my next thought after like, oh my God, I'm so excited. This is so great. This is the best day ever. And then like five minutes later, I was like, okay. Time for the first one. Let's go Let's go. Let's go, family. Let's go, family. Let's go. Friends and fiction family, you are the best of the best. I love you guys. Absolutely. Love you. Love you, Patty. Congratulations. Oh. There you are. She'll just be popping in all night. That's right. I need a cliffhanger. Oh, what a great day. I mean, it's been so much work and so much time and so much effort and so much support from, like she said, the friends and fiction community. It's just yeah. been unbelievable. It's kind of like Orly took off. She yeah. did. Sure did. Well, like, even when we were all in Charleston together and it was like the night before a pub, it's like you could feel it, you know, like everybody was just there and everybody was so excited and it was just, it was Oh, and Patty was here with me in Cleveland last night, and you know, it, there was no nerves at all. There was no thought about it. There was no <laughs> She's so good at giving this book talk, y'all. Really, she good. is it's unbelievable. I love it because people, people, you could see them leaning up to listen to her more closely as she tells the story. Lots of event, lots more events. So go see her if she's coming near you. That's for sure. Check her yeah. tour. Yeah, you guys can check um, Patty's uh, website and check her social media on Instagram and Facebook. And, of course, on Friends in Fiction, you can see where she's going to be. She's got a lot more territory to cover. And we got a lot of territory to cover tonight. Yes. We'll get rid of the riffraff. We'll get rid of us. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Bye, guys. Good to see y'all. All right, we're going to roll. This is Friends in Fiction. Four New York Times bestselling authors, including number eight New York Times best <laughs> bestseller, Patty Henry, and stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we're welcoming old friends Jennifer Robson and Martha Hall Kelly. Of course, you know that we're here to bring you incredible authors, hot reads, and fascinating interviews, all while supporting independent booksellers. And one way you can help us support indies is to buy from them when and where you can, or visit our own friendsandfictionbookshop.org page, where you can find Jennifer's and Martha's books and books by the four of us, including number eight on this week's <laughs> bestseller list, The Secret Book of Florley, at a discount.
And speaking of amazing books, like the number eight bestseller, The Secret Book of Flora Lee, don't forget to join the Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa on their Facebook page. So right now they're reading Coronation Year, and we'll be welcoming tonight's guest, author Jennifer Robson, to discuss the book with them live this coming Monday, May 15th at 7 p.m. So I don't think we've ever done this before where we have a guest on the show one week and then just a few days later they're on the book club but i'm i think it's going to be great because we'll kind of cover the broad strokes tonight and they'll dig in really deep for anyone who's actually read the entire book on monday so make sure make sure to show up for that perfect now you guys have been listening to our writer's block podcast right the one that drops every friday on all major podcasting platforms we'll always post a link to the newest episode on our facebook page and instagram feed on our most recent episode out now, Ron and Patty talk to Mary Beth Kane about her new novel, The Half Moon. Coming this Friday, May 12th, Ron and Christy will be talking to Laura Hankin about her novel, The Daydreams. So listen, review, subscribe, and share with a friend if you like what you hear. Oh, and I also have to add that that Mary Beth Keene episode, Patty talks about the secret book of Flora Lee also. It's like a half and half episode. Oh, so, cool. so if you want to hear a little bit more about that, she go, goes into a little bit of detail with Ron there too. All right. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Jennifer Robson. Oh, so Jennifer is the best-selling author of seven novels set during and after the two world wars, including Somewhere in France, Goodnight from London, and The Gown. She was also a contributor to the acclaimed anthology Fall of Poppies, Stories of Love and the Great War. Born and raised in Peterborough, Ontario, Jennifer studied French literature and modern history as an undergraduate at King's University College at Western University, then attended St. Anthony's College at the University of Oxford, where she obtained her doctorate in British economic and social history. She now lives in Toronto with her husband and children, and she shares her home office with Bonnie the Sheepdog and her feline companions, Mika, Rachel, and Obi. Her new novel, Coronation Year, a very timely novel indeed, (laughs) Mm-hmm. just released last month. Alan, can you bring Jennifer on? Hi, Hi Jennifer. <laughs> oh, what a delight. I, I, if, if I'm kind of going like this with my eyes, it's because I got so choked up when Patty was on. I just, <laughs> you know, we were talking about this. The New York Times is, is kind of on, the list is unpredictable. And to, when a friend lands and lands yeah. pretty high in the list, it's just the, best feeling when a friend lands dangling on the end we're like i have my wish for someday i think you know it, again i probably will it'll have to wait until um you know, I published in hardcover. Uh, who knows what, when that'll happen? But uh, I, I would be very comfortable with one week at fifteen. Yeah, that's it. but you know what? It's uh, it's it's a journey, and as my my wonderful literary agent has said to me, it's a marathon, right? It's a marathon, and like marathon. think of it as I think of it as the the Camino, right? In in Spain, just got to keep plugging along. Well, and yeah. also you're a, you are a bestseller in Canada. You're a, you're a perennial you're on the Globe and Mail bestseller list, right? Yeah. yeah, and which is I'm very grateful for. And and you know, the, like this is just the best gig. I, I had a, a, yeah. a lovely um, event at uh, one of the branches of the Toronto Public Library last night that is closest to my home. So I it was slightly stacked with neighbors and friends, um, but it was a it was a nice big crowd and people were so lovely and getting to connect to 
people talking about my books, nerding out over history with them. Like there's just no better job. I, I feel, yeah. I feel so fortunate. Um, and the friends I've made, like writer friends are really they terrific are. friends to have. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So the world just witnessed England's first coronation in 70 years Yeah. for King Charles. I got to ask everybody, how did everybody celebrate or not? John, you go first. So I I have a group of wonderful friends. Uh, we've been watching these, uh, you know, royal occasions together for the better part of 15 years. And I think the first one we walked, watched together was the royal wedding, uh, like, uh, Will and Kate. Uh, so that's 2011. And then since then, there's been a jubilee. There's been another world wedding, there's been two funerals, uh, and now the coronation. And so I was, I was up, like my husband thought I was crazy, but I, I got up at, I think about 3.30, 3.45, and I went over to my friend Jane's house, and we had scones and tea, and then we got some champagne, and, um, and it, it, yeah, it was, um, you know, I've, I've kind of lived and breathed the 1953 coronation for the last couple of years, so I had the advantage over like non-history nerds <laughs> in that I, I knew pretty much what was coming, but there's still a lot of surprises for me. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I found it, it was, I was surprised by how moved I was uh, at yeah. certain parts mm-hmm. of the proceedings. Yeah. Well, I have to admit I was blissfully asleep. <laughs> I was being crowned, but I did commemorate the occasion with a nice cuppa in my Jubilee coronation mug on Saturday morning. Christy, what what about you? I love that. I have to admit that I did not get up either, but I loved watching everyone's um, coverage on Instagram and seeing all the pictures and like watching the video clips after. It was really fun. And I do have to say, I've shared that I've been talking about this on social media, but I have to show y'all because it seemed very appropriate because I thought this was cool in July, but now I really think it's cool. So this is British Vogue. This is the July issue. And this is our now Queen Camilla. Yeah. This book she's reading right here is Under the Southern Sky. My Isn't that amazing? Oh, my gosh. And here's the letter that she wrote to me about it. Oh, did I just? And, um, yeah, it was nuts. So, that's, oh, that's I look amazing. like I'm going out on my, I think my internet's being funky. But anyway, um, so, yeah, so I went back and looked at that, and I was like, whoa, the Queen of England. That is so cool. So, I, I may have prayed more than once that somehow one one of my books my royal books would find its way into her hands but uh maybe, uh, maybe i still will you never maybe know i just have to send her one right no. like, at the very <laughs> least you get a very nice thank you note from one of the ladies in waiting and uh, you, you never know she might be moved to actually read it but um yeah that would yeah. be amazing but you have documentary proof proof christy this was vogue <laughs> this was real bizarre like the one of the craziest coolest things that's ever happened. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> um, well, for me watching the, the, I can't, I certainly, I like, h- how do you even follow that? Right? Like, oh, well, I mean, the queen wrote Christy a letter, but I get up and had scones on my couch. So same, same pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I got up and had scones on my couch and there was clotted cream. So I was delighted about that. Turns out yeah. 
World Market sells a pretty decent shelf-stable clotted cream, which now I will be buying in bulk in the future because clotted cream is delicious. Um, and uh, I texted a whole bunch with my mom, who is also a little bit of a royal watcher. So um, so we commented on all the fashion and where people were sitting and Feathergate blocking Harry. Yeah. And, you know, um, it was an, an interesting and enjoyable morning. And I appreciated that later in the day, there were Kentucky Derby hats too. So it was just a yeah. day full of fascinators. Yeah. It was such fantastic. an interesting day. And I think clotted cream trumps like pretty much anything. So. <sighs> I think so that true. your story it's, did win. On that I mean, it, it, it really, I, I hate to yeah. say, but I mean, in comparison to getting a letter from the queen, clotted cream really <laughs> does obviously come out. <laughs> I have to disagree with you. I don't think clotted cream trumps a lovely mint julep. Oh, that's true. That's true. I am. Yes. All right. Now enough about us. Let's dive into coronation here. Jennifer, tell us the elevator pitch. Now we know this novel is about, way more than just the queen's coronation right yeah yeah i've had and i've had some uh, people write to me and say i thought it was going to be about the queen and i bite my tongue refrain from saying well there's this handy thing called the synopsis it's not the back <laughs> of the book um and i can understand that i mean the, you know it's it's a it, it makes for a really striking cover but the queen is is um she is a character in the novel, very much a secondary one. Uh, there are three main characters who, whose point of view it, it, the, the novel kind of uh, moves between. And But then I would argue there's a fourth central character, which is the Blue Lion Hotel, uh, which is um, the, 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 the setting for, for most of the book. And it's a historic hotel founded in 1560 by the direct ancestor of one of my central characters, Edie Howard. And she's the last of the Howards. Uh, she's uh, doing her best to keep this hotel open. It's kind of lurched from minor crisis to minor crisis through the centuries, and there's never been enough money to keep it uh, in, a, in a really up-to-date state. And, and she's, especially since the war, she's really struggled to find guests and, and, and keep it open. And it's not just because of because it's uh, her family business that she wants to keep it open, there are there are her employees to think of who who lose their jobs and homes if she has to to sell up and or close, and then there she has some long term residents who are who are. Uh, characters, let's say the least, uh, who really have nowhere else to go, her waifs and strays, I think of them. And so we meet Edie, and then we meet two other characters who've come to London to document the coronation. Uh, and the first of them is Stella Donati, who, if, if anyone happened to read my previous book, Our Darkest Night, Estella was a character in that. And I wanted to know what happened to her after the war. And the best way of finding out is to turn her into a character in, in another book and, and do the work of, of figuring out what becomes of her. Uh, and then the third character is a young man called Jamie Getta, uh, who is um, uh, a veteran of World War II. Uh, he worked in bomb disposal uh, during the war and, and, is, and it re is really struggling with, with uh, post-war life. Uh, and he's also a, a very talented fine artist who's won a commission to uh, paint the queen on coronation day. Um, and, and he's also biracial. He is, his father is Scottish and his mother is originally from India. And so growing up uh, visibly not Caucasian uh, in Britain uh, in, you know, this mid-century period um, is, is tough for him. 
And so I, I, I have bring the three characters together. Um, and, and the, the reason that the, it's centered on the blue lion, uh, is that this hotel, which is totally Mary, you won't find it if you go to London. It never was there. Uh, but it's on the coronation procession route. So as we saw last weekend, you know, there are huge crowds gathered uh, to watch the king and queen go by in the Gold State coach. And uh, in C3, the crowds were even bigger. And uh, just being on the coronation route meant if you were a hotel, you could charge an absolute fortune for your room. This is, this is the key to Edie possibly being able to keep the blue lion afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I bring it together. And then of course there's a bad guy, not going to say who who really does, uh, a guy person who does their best to a completely upend coronation day, not just for the queen, uh, but for the, for the people at the hotel and possibly specifically for, for Edie herself. Wow. Hmm. So great. Well, your 2018 novel, The Gown, dealt with a pair of seamstresses who helped Norman Hartnell create Princess Elizabeth's gown for her 1947 wedding. And now you've transported us to 1953 London and the run up to the new Queen's coronation, as you mentioned. Did you have this progression in mind when you finished The Gown? Very faintly, I did. Um, I always knew I wanted to come back to, to London and see what had happened farther into the post-war period. Uh, you know, 1947, when the gown is set, it's still a really bleak time. Um, people were struggling in the post-war period. There were still so many shortages. There was, everything was rationed. Anything that you wanted was either rationed or just unavailable in the shops. Uh, whereas, you know, here in North America, life was was back to normal pretty quickly uh, in the post-war period. But in Europe, people struggled for many years. Um, and so I had a little discursion along the way to Italy in World War II. Um, that was a book I just had to write. I, I, I couldn't kind of postpone it. Um, and, but then I came back and I to, to, to England and I thought, well, what was life like for ordinary people uh, in 1953? Not for the royal family. I, you know, again, I, I just think there's so much written about them. Uh, I didn't feel there's anything I could personally add uh, to their story. But I did think that the contrast between them, uh, at one point uh, on Saturday, the Archbishop of Canterbury referred to the king's exalted state. And I take that with a grain of salt, even though as a Canadian, the king is the head of state uh, for us here. But I do think they occupy this exalted position that is so far from where the rest of us live. Uh, the contrast between that, the, you know, between them and the rest of us is is, is so, uh, so acute. It, it bears, uh, it bears looking at. And especially in 1993, where, you know, class differences were even more pronounced. Um, and I wanted to know, like, I started with this premise of what was it like to stand in the street uh, on June 2nd, 1953, and watch the Queen go by in the Gold State coat. And this person who'd be almost, almost like of, of another living in another dimension, really. Um, so distant, but yet she's there. She's almost close enough that you could reach out and touch her. And what was that like? And could it affect your life? Um, and then from there, you know, I, I kind of, I, I had all sorts of ideas of how could it affect an ordinary person. And I ended up landing on the idea of a hotel because let's face it, hotels are catnip for writers. I mean, it's just such a great setting 
Um, So many interesting things happen. And then you can kind of force people into proximity who wouldn't necessarily otherwise meet, which is also, again, a very handy kind of in your, you know, your bucket of tools uh, for the writer. That's, oh gosh, forced proximity, uh, you know, putting people together from different walks of life, all of that. And the temporary nature of it is also really fun to explore. Well, speaking of the hotel, right, and and setting it in this hotel, um, you had to do, I would imagine, research to to get these characters' jobs right. And you have such a total grasp of your characters' livelihoods in this book, right? So Edie, as you mentioned, is the owner slash manager of a crumbling centuries-old inn. Um, So you schooled us in this book in innkeeping. (laughs) James is a war hero suffering from shell shock, as well as being a gifted artist. And Stella is a magazine photojournalist. So can you talk us a little bit you talked about where Stella came from. She came yeah. from one of your previous books. Yeah, but can yeah. you talk to us a bit about where the development of these characters came from, how you went about researching their day-to-day professional lives, and whether any of those skills like painting or photography or inkeeping rubbed off on you? Oh, so I can say for the skills, nothing. Uh, so, you know, for the gown, I did. It's, oh, it's right here. It's, it's you know, the, this embroidery. I I... I went to England and here's, here's a little factoid that I haven't managed to share yet. Um, everyone remembers Penny Mordaunt, who is the woman in blue with, with who holding the sword, which apparently is like an eight pound sword. And um, one of the writers for the guardian tried doing it and said like, he, he, he was like this after about two minutes. Um, and her, she had that beautiful ensemble that had, she had the hat with the gold and then there was the gold on her lapels. That embroidery was done by the same embroiderers who taught me how to do this <gasps> at, no at a place called Handed Lock in London. Sorry, I'm trying oh, that's to not get really the, cool. Yeah. So, cool. so so I when I saw it was Handed Lock, I was like, oh my gosh, the connection with history. And I and they did also a lot of the other embroidery on, on the on the robes and and um and gowns that you saw. Um but you know, for this I I I I didn't think, gosh, I think I need to go and do an apprenticeship at a hotel. Although I have had some crazy ideas in the past about things I need to do in order to to get the research right. And then my editor usually says, Jen, nobody expects you to go like and do, you know, an apprenticeship in embroidery. Like a one day workshop is more more than enough. Um, With the hotels, you know what I did? I found all sorts of interesting hotel management guides from the period uh, that were really informative interesting um and then uh, and then i talked to people who who do that work today uh you know the technology has changed but the principles of hospitality uh, really endure um in terms of uh talking about me's past as a bomb disposal officer that was kind of the most straightforward thing to research because there's there are quite a number of memoirs of officers who did that work uh, in the war. Um, and it was, you know, it made for some really harrowing reading at times, the things that these men went through. Uh, one thing that surprised me, it probably shouldn't have, um, but it was was interesting to me that uh, in these small um, uh, kind of groups of, of, of the bomb disposal crews, uh, there would be one, possibly two officers and then um, men from other ranks. And, uh, you know, I, if you'd asked me, I would have thought, well, you know, the way things go, probably the men from 
the, you know, the, the enlisted men would be the ones who'd be expected to go down and do the dangerous work. And interestingly, it's the opposite. Yeah, if, if you were the officer, it was your duty alone uh, mm-hmm. to go into, uh, and, and this was, you know, the bomb disposal uh, during the blitz. And then uh, in, in the campaigns, uh, you know, in North Africa, Italy, and Europe, um, it saved bombs had fallen and they ha- were unexploded. They had to be disposed of. And yeah. the officers themselves were expected to go in. And, uh, and so to, you know, to me that just instantly made Jamie so heroic. Um, yeah. so, so worthy. I mean, I wanted to create a hero, hero here that everyone from that go would say, this is, this is a really special man. Um, yeah. And, and then actually for, for bits that I don't want to get into detail, I think we can talk about in the book club. Um, there are some bits about um, how one constructs bombs and things like that, uh, that I actually went to my uncle, who's a retired colonel in the Canadian uh, Forces. And uh, we actually did all of that over the phone because he was a little concerned that emails, you know, we might get, get onto the wrong radar. Oh, right. Um, you know, I think it's just a, 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 us being excessively careful, but you really maybe don't want to be banding about stuff like that. And um, he was very helpful. And then for, for the photojournalism, I went to my other uncle, uh, who is um, a retired teacher of photography and a photographer uh, and a historian. And he was so informative about photography in the 1950s, the kinds of cameras people use, just, you know, like things about like the speed of the film. And it, this is before telephoto lenses. So there were no long lenses. You had to really, uh, you know, for example, if you wanted to get a really good clear shot, you would have to have have a long exposure with really good light um, and, and then just hope that your focus was just impeccable wow. because then you could go in and, and, and blow it up. And um, so figuring out what kind of uh, cameras uh, my character Stella would use, the kind of photographs she was taking, I went back and forth with Uncle John like so many times. Um, but I felt, he, so one of his interests is is uh, photojournalism in, in that period because my grandparents, uh, and I've talked about this before, um, and, you know, talking to Mary Kay, who understands what it's like to be a newspaper woman, as my grandma called herself, my grandparents were both newspaper um, uh, uh, she was a staff writer uh, with several Vancouver newspapers, and he was an editor for many years. That's how they met. And uh-huh. um, so, you know, I just I just thought having uh, – I, I always – I quite often, not always, but I quite often end up having journalists in my books, and I think it's because of that family connection. That's awesome. Uh, so that's where a lot of the research came from. And, uh, and you know, one thing that I rely on a lot are, are ads, of all things. So things like what kind of camera would she have used? I start. I went into uh, photography in the 1950s to see what was actually available and how much it cost at the time. So nerd things like that, which I love. (laughs) Okay. So now we've talked, you talked a little bit about the blue lion and you admitted you made it all up. (laughs) I'm headed to London in 10 days. Yeah. So what I want to know is, is there, because before I got to your author's note, I'm like, well, I'm going, I'm going to the blue lion. I'm going to go in there. And so was there one in that acted or were there, more than one that acted as your inspiration for the Blue Lion. And then I want you to talk about the Blue Lion's long-term 
guess slash piss. <laughs> oh, I love the are they the Oz or the Oz? The Oz, yeah, the Oz. H O N F. Uh, so, so the blue line. So, yes, there's no blue line. Although you can go to a wonderful pub called the Sherlock Holmes, which is in that exact spot. Um, I can remember I, that the Sherlock and, Holmes. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes, and uh, and it's right now. They have tables out front, and uh, someone sent me a short video they'd taken this weekend, where of course it was thronged with guests because. It was right. It right. wasn't actually on the route, to be honest. Uh, they they skipped that part of the route. Uh, they just kind of did an up and back, whereas in in my book they do an up and across and and down like that. Um, but unless it was right in the thick of things, and people were clearly having a really good time, so it exists. the The hotel that I based a lot of my kind of suppositions on, and in terms of describing the interior and um, getting a sense of what it was like and, and just the sense of being in a, in a quite an old building uh, where let's face it, there isn't a single right angle in this entire building. Like, you know, if you put, if you put a marble on any single floor, it's not going to stay. It's just going to go off in some other direction. Um, there's a hotel called Hazlitt's H-A-Z. I have to remember to say Z, not Z. H-A-Z-L-I-T-T apostrophe S. And it's in Soho on uh, Frith Street, which I also feel as if I'm pronouncing Frith Street. Um, <laughs> and it is in a Georgian building. So, so uh, you know, dating just to the early 1700s, yes. um, just, uh, although the blue itself, the, the, the kind of the, the hidden interior bits that have been covered by a Victorian exterior are date to, you say, the, probably the 1300s. Um, but it's still a very old building and it's just, they've, it, the restoration of this building is beautiful. They haven't done too much. It doesn't feel museum-y. It feels like a house that has been lived in continuously and with kind of eccentric bath fixtures in the rooms and delicious, oh my gosh, the English breakfast is just, they have a, to be honest, a bacon sandwich that is a thing of beauty oh, and um, so wonderful staff, like really friendly people. Mm-hmm. Nobody the slightest bit like any of my characters. I should add that, that I did not attempt to impersonate any of the the hotel staff and they have a cat a very elderly cat called sir godfrey and um a little garden in the center and it's just it's just an amazing place and interestingly uh early last week uh, the prince and princess of wales went to a pub uh in soho and you saw them kind of drawing pints of beer and thanking hospitality workers it was kitty corner to the hotel and my son and Ooh. i had dinner at i think at the the duck and dog um when we were there in january um and so so the hazlitz is where i typically stay when i go to london um and by you know by london standards it's a relatively inexpensive hotel which is to say it would shock uh, the prices would shock anyone <laughs> who isn't routinely used to going to London um, or, or say New York city. Um, But it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I, 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 in terms of the atmosphere, that's where I took a lot of the blue line, although the hot water, they have lots of hot water. There's no issues with their boiler. Um, And then there's um, all of of the, there's no tunnels and all of the hotel staff are perfectly well-adjusted, normal people. (laughs) I don't have to worry about any, Strange. As far as you could on. tell, <laughs> as far as I could tell, um, in terms of the the uh, long term inhabitants, so there's um, Professor Thurlow who was bombed out in the war and has kind of a- arrived at the hotel and is 
quite eccentric and maybe there's elements of various professors I had in university uh, kind of woven into his character. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's, he's just very intent on doing his work and uh, kind of to the exclusion of anything else. To be honest, he reminds me of some of the professors I had at Oxford who had um, never really lived in the real world, to be honest. If you're an Oxford Don, you just kind of live there in perpetuity uh, with really very little connection with the real world. Um, and then the Ons were just a complete fantasy. And I just imagined what you know, they just came to me kind of one day these sisters who uh had been effectively tossed out on their ear when uh their father died unexpectedly back in the 1920s and uh their uh, cousin i they, i think they call him um uh, you know horrible horrible cousin dominic uh and he had tossed them out uh kind of didn't pay any attention to to the the will of their father and um uh, and so they've been living on in the Blue Lion uh, in very reduced circumstances since then. And are, you know, and I, I they're there to show Edie's humanity um, and Edie's compassion for other people, even when those other people are extraordinarily irritating and demanding and selfish. Uh, because Edie also has, uh, has the ability uh, to, to see beyond their irritating behavior and realize that these are two old ladies who are completely at the, <laughs> they have no resources they have no life skills whatsoever and really would like two little lost kittens if she set them out in the street and she knows it and so that's part of Edie's problem is that she has three long-term boarders eating her out of house and home uh, paying practically nothing using up three of her best rooms and and um how is she supposed to make ends meet but she doesn't she just doesn't can't find it in her heart to to tell them to go elsewhere um yeah I, I you know this book I really wanted it to Ultimately, even though there's there's moments of peril and drama, I want this to feel like a warm hug for people. Mm. Um, I think we all we all want a warm hug these days. And, uh, well, it definitely, yeah, it definitely feels like that. All right, Jennifer, we have loved talking to you. Before you go, where can everybody find you online? And are you still doing any tour events? I have, I, I'm doing, it's more local in Canada. Um, I'm doing some literary festivals and, uh, and they'll get a little more intermittent going into the fall. Um, and then, well, through the summer, I'm actually in Scotland for most of the summer because my daughter is a Highland dancer. Yeah. We're, we're going over there. She's dancing for the King, uh, in wow. at wow. the Braver Gathering. Which is very exciting. That's awesome. She's not the only one. I should add. There's a number of girls who are invited, but uh, and then I probably there'll be a few bits and pieces. But I I've, I've finished sadly finished my my travels in the states for a while, which is which I would love to go back down. But um, we, we will see. You never know. And then there's the next book in a year or two. Yeah, so. definitely. All right. Thank you so much, Jen. We'll see you Thanks. soon. I hope. So Hi, good to Jen. see you. Good to see you. Okay, bye bye. Thanks for coming. Now we're excited to get to Martha Hall Kelly, but first more messages from us well you might have heard that all four of us have new releases coming this year and we have some simply amazing events coming up you can catch us live and as a group multiple times this year 
Join us next in Huntsville, Alabama on June 6th for the launch of Kristen's novel, The Paris Daughter. Then we'll be in Tampa, Florida on July 20th at Oxford Exchange for the launch of my new book, The Summer of Songbirds. Then we'll be in Beaufort, North Carolina, um, my hometown, on August 1st for a breast cancer fundraiser. And last but absolutely not least, we'll be in Darien, Connecticut on October 4th to launch Mary Kay's Bright Lights, Big Christmas. And uh, how awesome would it be if all of you made all of our books a four-peat bestsellers? <laughs> I like that. Just saying. Just yeah. saying. You have the power. Just <laughs> saying. Yes. And, you know, not to, not to uh, belabor a point, but Kristen's up next. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Sublim subliminal messaging time. Yeah. I really am. I really do have to say this though. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I absolutely mean this. So I picked it up the other night. Cause I was like, I'm just going to read like a chapter really quick just to like familiarize myself. I mean, I know what it's about. Cause we've talked about it, but, and so I sat down and I read like 80 pages and I was like, Christy, you have got to go do the next thing. So then last night I was like, I'm just going to read. I'm really tired. I'm going to read like one chapter before I go to bed. And I read like 115 pages oh before I went gosh, to bed. So I was like 200 you. pages into this book in two sittings, which I have to say does not happen because y'all know we all have so much to read all the time. Yeah. And so this is like not next in my TBR. And I was like, I'm just going to like read a little tiny bit because I need to be reading That's something else. So Thank good. you. That's really nice. Thanks a lot. Wow. You cheated on your TBR list. That's that's major. That's that's big. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Everybody just want to quickly make sure you're signed up for our Friends in Fiction newsletter and for our individual newsletters. So you're the first to know everything going on. All right. So now it is time for our next guest, Martha Hall Kelly. So Martha is the best-selling author of several novels, including Lilac Girls, her debut, which became an instant New York Times bestseller in 2016 and went on to sell more than 2 million copies in 50 countries. Wow. The novel is based, as we've talked about on the show before, because we've had Martha on before, it's based on the true story of 72 Polish women who were imprisoned and experimented on at Ravensbrück concentration camp and how Caroline Faraday, an American philanthropist, brought them to the U.S. for rehabilitation and the trip of a lifetime. Yeah, that book wrecked me. Yeah. Wrecked me. Okay, Martha followed her debut with Lost Roses about Caroline's mother and then with Sunflower Sisters about Caroline's great-grandmother. Martha grew up in Massachusetts and now splits her time between Litchfield, Connecticut, Hope Sound, Florida, and New York City. Her latest novel, The Golden Doves, just came out on April 18th, and I can speak for all of us and say that we absolutely loved it. Um, Patty called it meticulously researched, hauntingly told, and inspired by real events that span generations and continents, while Kristen said in her blurb that it is a pulse-pounding tale of vengeance, mystery, and family, and I called it literary perfection, which <laughs> it is. So um, we were lucky to get early reads, and um, Alan... Can you please bring Martha on so we can tell her how much we love her? Oh, <laughs> You're the best blurbers in the whole world. I have well, Thank you for having me on this special night when Patty hit the list. I get to drink. Yay. This is so Here's to Patty. <laughs> and here's to Martha and here's to Jennifer. Absolutely. It's a historic fiction night around here. Yes, it is. We're killing it. Christy, the queen had your book how cool right you know, i i can't even like it was bizarre. It was Wait, martha bizarre. you say that like it's cooler than having clotted cream on my couch it's so strange <laughs> that you would think that's cooler now I don't your know. book is coming oh my god the paris daughter oh 
people are just gonna, they don't know what is coming. I mean, talk about being wrecked. Yeah. And then um, and then Mary Kay, you have a Christmas book coming out. You guys are just killing it. So well, thank you. Oh, Martha. So well, fun. But you were killing it. We are so excited to talk to you tonight about the Golden Doves. We're just so glad to have you back with us. We, you're just, we just love having you on, and it's, it's just great to have you here. So let us dive in. So the Golden Doves is about two former spies, American Josie Anderson and Parisian Arlette LaRue, who are bound together by their experience during World War II and who risk everything to hunt down an infamous Nazi doctor after the war. But there is also so much more going on beneath the surface of this book. So so can you tell us what this novel is really about, Martha? Sure. I, I just wanted to write, I, I wrote it during COVID and I just wanted to write something that took me away from my house in Litchfield where I was stuck. And um, I wanted to write about two best friends as well. I, I lost my own best friend when I was in my thirties. And oh, I feel like every time I write a book, I, I write that same like friendship that I wish was still continuing. Oh, I'm um, sorry. And so um, that's what I wanted to do in this book as well. And that's why Josie, um, an American, and uh, Arlette, who is half German and half French. But while I was uh, out on my book tour for Lilac Girls, I met a Holocaust survivor who talked to me about, um, it, it was a really sad story. She had been... Um, experimented on by Josef Mengele when she was a child. She was only eight. And when she told me the story, we she dropped me off at my hotel room, um, at my hotel, and I, I sat in the back seat of this car, which she and um, her daughter had driven me in. And she just told me the whole story. And I just thought, how did he escape? How did we let that happen? So that led me down this path of trying to figure out how did all those Nazis, the fugitives, who had done such horrible things, how did they just get away? So that led me to the rat line, the so-called you know, Nazi rat line. And, uh, and, and I, I knew I wanted to have that in the book for sure. So it's these two women, best, best friends, who don't get along that well at first, but which was kind of like my best friend. Um, but then when we became best friends, it just was, we were inseparable. And that's what happens with these two in occupied Paris. And they become radio operators and they outwit the Gestapo and become known as the Golden Doves. They're only 17 years old. Um, unfortunately, they get caught, they go to Ravensbrück and each loses something really important at the camp. One loses their mother, the other loses their son. Um, because, you know, children at a concentration camp, you can imagine. So the story actually starts eight years later in Fort Bliss, Texas. And Josie, the American, is back at um, uh, Fort Bliss vetting German scientists who are coming to the country. And she it's her job to... Um, kind of make sure these guys come over and haven't done anything too horrible, former Nazis. But she's looking for this terrible doctor that did terrible things to them at the camp. And um, her boss comes to her and says, would you like to find this doctor that um, you want to go hunt him down? So yes, spoiler, she, just, she says yes. Um, <laughs> and meanwhile in Paris, Arlette is working at a cafe 
and a man comes in, a wealthy man, attractive somewhat, and says to her, I think I know where your son is, and offers to um, have her come to South America to this orphanage to see if he's there. Oh, which is so compelling. I, I thought that was just one of the the threads of the book that just pulled me through. And I just, I, oh, I wanted, I wanted to find her son so much. It was such an important thing to me throughout the book. And I love knowing that background about your friendship and how these books are, are in some ways an ode to that friendship, because you do write friendship very beautifully in all of your books, but it, it particularly in this book. That's so nice. Um, Thank you. Oh, well, no, I mean, it's just something you do a great job with. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you quickly, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. You mentioned Irene uh, Zisblatt. Is that how you say her yes. last name? Yeah. This plot. And I, you know, for those who want to know a little bit more about that, I know you write about it in your author's note. You write about talking to her in your author's note and also in the book club kit that can be found, I think, on your publisher's website. So at 93, it sounds like she is still such a tremendous force. What message do you think that she would want readers of your novel to absorb? Oh my God, I'm getting huge chills just having you talk about her. She's amazing. The, I think the the message that she gave me, which is we cannot forget, she goes around and talks to like one day I was Skyping with her and she was going to talk to like the Joint Chiefs or something, you know. Ninety three, that's incredible. Yes. She's so sharp and she's talking to them about how the rise of national national socialism is back and how we need to stop it. So I think when I saw her, she had a pin on and it was in little Hebrew letters, and I said, "Oh, that's a beautiful pin," and she took it off and pinned it on me and said. This means never forget, always remember. And she said, you need to go do a mitzvah, which I had to look that up because I'm not Jewish, but it means, you know, go do something good. So um, I think that is the message that she would want me to give. I, I think that. you've done it. I think yeah. you've done it. Thank you, Christy. Yeah. I, can, I can tell Irene, you know, mission accomplished. Yes, exactly. Martha, you, you mentioned the rat lines, and I know that you traveled to northern Italy and Rome to understand the Nazi rat line. Would you talk to those? I mean, there will be some people who haven't read it yet. And we want them to talk to us about that. And there's and how I mean, it seems like you are so you have such a sense of bringing justice to to criminals. Would you talk about that, even if justice is long delayed? You know, Mary Kay, that's such a good question. Um, that is exactly what was happening with this book. I felt like there was such an injustice done that all these guys just get away, got away. And once I dug into it, I just got more and more angry with the whole situation, even though this happened at the end of World War II. And what I found out was that the Catholic Church helped these men come across the border and come down through through um, through Italy and stay at monasteries dressed as monks oftentimes, yeah. like safe houses. And there was a man named Bishop Udall and he was at the Vatican and uh, he was hiding them at his church, which is still there in, in Rome and um, in a place called the Collegium, right like adjacent to the Vatican City. So as soon as COVID uh, was over and they lifted travel restrictions, my husband and I made a beeline for Italy and we traced the route line and we went from the very tippity top where um, Mengele stayed at the Golden Cross 
And we made our way down through Italy to Rome, and we went to Bishop Udall's church where he hid the Nazis. And they have a they had a velvet rope. I, I felt like I was in the Da Vinci Code going in there, but they had this velvet rope across. And I said to my husband, thank God my husband comes with me because I'm so shy. And he's like, when, some people, when they see a velvet rope, they go, oh, we can't go in. When my husband <laughs> velvet rope it's like come on in so <laughs> oh it's my door it's my special door <laughs> exactly and so we went into the we, he's like let's just go around the velvet rope and go in the back and that is where they must have kept it it's a whole world back there where they could have oh. and then we went to the vatican more velvet rope and we saw you know the pope was there we couldn't go into the vatican because high security. And my husband said, look, there, there's people lining up over there. Let's go get in that line because I think they're bringing them in. And they were bringing them into the German cemetery. And so he said, let's get in the line. Oh, the German grandfather, if they ask. So everybody in the line was speaking German. All of a sudden, the Swiss guards were like, okay, everybody in. And we all walked into Vatican City through the gates and went into this um, German cemetery. And I thought, there's no way Bishop Udall could be buried here. He was such a stain on the Catholic Church. You know, they disavow him like, oh, no, he helped Nazis. There he was buried under one of the stations of the cross, the, the, the women of Jerusalem, which is a very beloved station of the cross. And we were like, this is like, the, it really was like the Da Vinci Code. We thought, we got to get out of here in case someone knows why we're here. So <laughs> amazing, an amazing thing. But really, it's sad that, that he helped thousands of, of Nazis get away. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It sounds like a great trip. I wish I had been there. I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, well, your previous three novels, Lilac Girls, Lost Roses, and Sunflower Sisters, as we mentioned, all connected directly to philanthropist Carolyn Faraday and her family. And the Golden Doves is the first not to be drawn specifically from that family history, though there are some characters in this book that readers of Lilac Girls will recognize. Yeah. So what made you decide to step away from the Faraday-Woolsey universe that you have been so deeply involved with? And were there challenges that came with that departure? That was my agent, basically. She said, no more books about Caroline. I was like, you know, what do I do next? And she was like, do something different. And um, don't do three point of view characters. So of course, I had to do two. But um, but I was excited to, to write more of um, a thriller and, and try something different. And I did want to keep a little bit of an umbilical cord to some of that, um, to Lilac Girls, because there are a lot of things that I didn't get to put in Lilac Girls that I put in this book. Um, a lot of things about Ravensbrook. And everyone was asking me about Herta Oberhauser, you know, the bad doctor, mm -hmm. yeah. Lilac Girls. And I thought, what if Josie goes to see Herta and, um, you know, Herta was in Landsberg Prison. And I thought that would be like a really, that was a really fun thing to write. So I always figure if it's fun to write people, it'll be fun for people to read. So I, I peppered in a couple of Lilac Girls people. I love, I love that. that. Just well, because you could. Yeah, exactly. Right now, this is like when you've just had a baby and you bring it home from the hospital. And <laughs> someone says, when are you going to have your next baby? But... Um, <laughs> Do you, are there any little sneak peeks about what's up next for you? Sure. Yeah, I have two coming up. One, is, I always like to have two writing at the Ooh, same time. Wow. With one, I get to, you know, have fun with the other one. Oh um, my God, my, 
I, I don't have that much room in my brain. You are a smarter woman than I am. <laughs> oh, no, please. It's just more AP. You know, if I get bored, like right around three o'clock is when I'm always like, eh. So I go and like plot the other one. Um, but the first one is a book about Martha's Vineyard during World War II. Ooh. And the mother, um, my family came to Martha's Vineyard in 1891 and my mom grew up there. And she used to talk about the boys, their boys who trained on Martha's Vineyard because there's cliffs there and they were training for Normandy. They were scaling the cliffs. And so I thought, uh, why not write about that? And half of them didn't come home after Normandy. And they were always so sad about that. Plus, there were there were a lot of German U-boats all in those waters off of um, Martha's Vineyard. So that may play into the book. Um, my mom told me that some of the Nazis came off of the U-boats onto Martha's Vineyard and had dinner at a restaurant there. So that is super fun. So that's the Martha's Vineyard book. And that comes out in 2025, I guess. Would it? Yeah. And then the next is a, um, a, a true story that takes place um, not at Ravensbrook, but very close by. So, and it's already like giving me a lot of heartbreak. And But it's so fun to research the true story. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna so flash on here. Yeah, your energy is is um intimidating to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I feel bad about myself. Because Wait, you guys put on a show every Wednesday. I don't know how you guys do it. Honestly. Mary Kay Andrews has the most energy of anyone I've ever met. I say that all the time. It's so inspiring. Amazing. Not true at all. Okay, well, we're getting close to finishing up, but um, we've got a couple, we haven't taken live questions in a while. And seems like um, E. Cohen wants to know what you read for pleasure, Martha. Oh my God, E. Cohen, how nice of you. Um, you know, it's funny. I did an event at RJ Julia, which is the best place in the whole entire universe to do an event. And they offer the author one book as it, which is such a nice thing. Yeah, and I panicked and I, I chose um, not panicked, but I chose lessons in chemistry because everyone's talking about it and it's, you know, going to be a movie. I wanted to read it. And so I just started Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah. Other than that, it's submarine books. So you do not want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Name one submarine book that you're reading. Oh, God. Oh, I don't even know the names of them. They're so boring. They're, they're just like, one of them is from like the U.S. military. And it's all the boats that were downed by U-boats in the United States. So I'm going through all of them. I know. I so know. it's it's basically like name one submarine boat you're not reading probably right like <laughs> like you're reading them all. <laughs> one called Operation Drumbeat that Ooh. is actually reads like fiction a little bit. It's about all the you know U boats and what they were doing. I've been watching a lot of movies about U boats too. That's really cool. Yeah, like Dust Boat. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. That doesn't sound like bedtime reading. No, it's like nightmare reading. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Claustrophobic at all. It's like the worst. Oh, that's, oh my goodness. Well, Martha, we have we have lots of people writing in um, saying Susie Baldwin says, I love all your books. Maria Lewis saying, can't wait to meet you on June 4th. You must have an appearance that she's going to. Um, 
And Sharon Person saying, I've read Golden Doves and it is fantastic. So Martha, before you go, we would love to ask you, where can our viewers find you on the road and online in the coming weeks? Oh, um, actually, I'm going to LA tomorrow Ooh. on the 13th for Mother's Day weekend. Oh, fun. My daughter and I are back on the road. Uh, we did... Um, a, uh, a pre-launch uh, little Facebook Live together that we had so much fun doing. So we're gonna do an event in LA on the 13th and then I'm back to uh, Connecticut, to Bethlehem, to Caroline's house on June 4th, which is gonna, it's already almost sold out. If people wanna go, they have to hurry because the tours and it's just, people go there to pay homage to Caroline and it's gonna be huge. Wow. So that's gonna be fun. Well, that With all is the Oh, yeah. great, great. And, and Martha, people can find you. Is it Martha Hall, uh, MarthaHallKelly.com? Is that your website? Yeah. Okay, MarthaHallKelly.com. Perfect. Well, everybody out there, we um, we hope you will pick up Martha's book. It was great. It comes endorsed by the full Friends and Fiction crew. <laughs> I think we've all read it. We all loved it. And Martha, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us tonight. It was such a pleasure to see you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you can find all of our back episodes of Friends in Fiction on YouTube. And we will be right back here next week with the authors of two wildly different and entertaining <laughs> novels. Food Network winner, TikTok sensation, and New York Times bestselling author, Abby Jimenez, will join us to discuss her sparkling new rom-com, rom Yours Truly. And number one, New York Times bestselling fantasy phenom, Rebecca Kwong will be here to discuss her contemporary literary thriller, Yellow Face. We have such a fun episode in store for you. So we'll see you next week. Cheers again, Patty. Cheers. Here we are. We're back. We're back. <laughs> well, that was a great show. I don't know. Are, are we, uh, you, you know what? Let's stick around for just a minute and have a little other celebration for Patty, right? Like we're here, we're on the yeah. after show. Yes. Yes. Um, no, I thought that was such a great show though. And there were such great guests and it was just so interesting to hear about these different facets of history. And um, yeah, I mean, great writers and yeah, we get to do this. It's great. And, and it's so fun to hear about the true stories behind these these novels yeah. that we read that sweep us off our feet with these characters, but that are really grounded in history that still applies today. I mean, it, it applies in terms of the politics of today when we're talking about Martha, and it applies in terms of the coronation we just saw this weekend in terms of Jennifer. So yeah, I, I keep thinking about um, how serendipitous the timing was for Jennifer's book. Timing. Yes, absolutely. Timing. Yeah, I know. I wanted to ask her about that. We just didn't have time, but it's like just, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable how that all kind of lined up because, you know, obviously like for people who might not understand publishing schedules, this book was in the works long, long before. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jennifer had no way of knowing that Queen Elizabeth was going to pass away or any of this was going to be happening. So it's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. To, to line up, I mean, less than a month away, like for or you know, my mother, my dad was in the Air Force and he was stationed in England. And my mom and my older sister were in London during the coronation. I don't think they, um, my mother never talked about seeing the coronation, but she talked about my sister had a coronation 
uh, baby buggy. And she had, you know, coronation souvenirs. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a touchstone for me. So I'm definitely, when I'm in London in two weeks, I'm going to go check out Hazlitt's in yeah. Soho. For sure. And that'll be such an exciting time to be in London right on the heels of the coronation. Really, I bet yeah. it, I bet there'll still be like a little buzz of energy from that. So it's going to be great. I'm jealous. Souvenirs. Maybe, maybe like a, a fascinator kind of like custom made for me or, you know, just something small like that. <laughs> well, you know how crafty I am. Maybe I'll make you one. Ooh. Fantastic. Well, you loved your wedding veil so much that I said, <laughs> turnabout is fair play, right? <laughs> You know, I, I have to tell everybody, uh, we had we had been planning, plotting how we were going to celebrate Patty's debut on the list because we all knew it was going to happen, right? Yeah. yeah. And we decided we would just manifest the shit out of it. Yep. So Christy had champagne sent, right? Mm -hmm. To um, Patty is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania tonight. And um, so Patty, I mean, Christy talk, talk to how, what you had to do to get that champagne there. Well, it was hilarious. Well, I found out that Instacart now, I, it makes sense now, but there, uh, there were all these like really simple ways that we were like, oh, we can get champagne. And it just was not, it was not working out. And I texted them finally. I was like, you guys I spent like an hour. I've called like every store I can think of. I've done Instacart. I've done this. There's this thing called mini bar. I've like signed up for these services I didn't even have. And I get to the end and they're like, we don't deliver here. I've called all these stores. I've tried to find somebody to go get it. Like, I just don't know what to do. And as soon as I texted them, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go on wine.com. It's in like two days. I'm sure they can't get it there. And they were like overnight delivery. And I was like, cool. So that's how <laughs> we'll get back. But so hopefully Patty will have some good champagne from all of us waiting when she gets home. And um, we've started without her. Clearly. <laughs> Obviously. And it really is though. I, I mean, it really is like we, it's like we all have. Yeah. I, yeah, I I was just, I was gonna say it's not so much that we started without her as the like three like well counting Ron and Meg like five sixths five sixths of the person who hit the list have already started drinking. That is <laughs> just the final sixth of the like. <laughs> I, I really I like I think we were we were as worried about her and as invested in her as we would in our own books. I mean it's it's just. It's beautiful how we've all morphed into one person. <laughs> we, were, we were all laughing because it was like right before we knew the list was going to come out. Kristen's like, I'm taking her to the trampoline park. And I was like, Will and I are going on a bike ride. And Mary Kay's like, I'm going to get my nails done. And Meg was like, I'm going to the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> but we all had to distract ourselves. We were like, oh my gosh, we have to go do something. And little Will kept looking yes. at me and like, mom, it's not your book. And I was like, no, but... Kind of is. It is also. Yes, exactly. That's well, right. We all had um, sympathy labor pains. And I think mm -hmm. since we've been doing this show for three years, we've we've gone through these cycles mm -hmm. like three times of yeah. how, how, you know, while we're writing it, it's like, oh, my God, this book sucks. Yeah. Or, oh, my God, I don't have an idea for the next book. Yeah. Yeah, then no one's going to buy it. No one's going to like it. 
Well, and and we've gone through. Some of us have gone, including myself, including Patty. We've gone through the heartbreak of putting your heart and soul into a book and then having it not hit the list, which really hurts. So, like, I think we wanted it for her even more because of that, because it was so deserved, and we knew how hard she'd worked and how much she'd put into it, and it just. Yeah. Um, me too. It is. It's really hard when you have worked, you know, and it's so, I mean, oh my gosh, it's so, there's so much that you can't predict and you can have the best numbers in the world as you know, Kristen, and you know, they don't pick you, you know, and it's, it's really hard. So anyway, we're really proud of her, but we are, let's all go call her. Yes. (laughs) Probably still signing books. She probably is. Probably. But we, we, weeping and laughing through it or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and Meg has been with her for the past 10 days. And so Meg is, is um, you know, she's been living it every day. Um, so, and Meg Meg's texting. She told us you all, oh, sadly, she's had no champagne yet. Well, she has oh, some yeah. waiting for her. It was yeah, delivered not, yeah. yesterday. I can yeah. confirm. Yeah. Signature. Uh, yeah. yeah, since she's in Lancaster, PA, Christy had a horse and um, buggy <laughs> yeah. deliver deliver it to That's her uh, her aunt's house where she's staying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, what a night! I think we all feel emotionally and physically exhausted. Like today mm-hmm. felt like the longest Wednesday in the history mm-hmm. of Wednesdays as we waited for that New York Times news to come in. I'm exhausted. Yeah, me too. I'm like, it wasn't even my book. I told them I got 14 pages of editing done. And just so everyone knows, like, I, I need to get at least 50 to 75 a day done. I got 14. Because I would do like one page and then I'd be like, wonder what's like, what? I don't know what I was looking at to see what Same. was going on with Patty's book, but something. Yeah. I was refreshing and checking and things that had nothing to do with anything. Just hoping yeah. for some like yeah. predictive Limer. value or something. Yeah. I don't know. I stress, I, I didn't want to mention this, but I did stress clean my fridge. That's amazing. Oh, I stress eight Doritos. So you did a better stress thing than I did. Could you come over and stress clean my fridge the next time you're feeling like you need to burn off some, some anxiety? Yeah, the number of bottles of salad dressing we have in our fridge. Yeah, same, same. It's and just, things are bad when I start cleaning my house. It's, like it's disturbing how many bottles of salad dressing. Yes. I, our problem, our, our our problem is pickles and olives. We have like a whole oh, shelf yeah. of like pickles and olives like shoved in the back, and I love those things. I don't know why we don't eat them when we open the jars. But. Well, I will I will tell you that while I was dress cleaning, I I did throw out a jar. I hope my husband my husband mostly watches. He's down in the keys fishing. Um, I hope he's not watching the after show because I did throw out a jar of pickled herring. I found. Ooh, yeah, yeah that sounds disgusting. <laughs> I I actually today's tomorrow's trash day so we put out out the trash on Wednesday nights and so I was just putting the trash can out and I went through just I was like I wonder what's in here I went through like the um the drawer where we keep the cheese and the meat and there was definitely some stuff that I was like huh that looks like a science project that's just there anymore so yeah let it Okay, well, we've gone from the sublime to the disgusting. (laughs) I think it's time for us to sign off. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Congratulations, Patty. Good night, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.